it's time for the only show that doesn't care about ratings, Witness Radio, with your host, Ryan Muniak. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Witness Radio, the only show that doesn't care about ratings because our sole purpose is to save souls. On purpose. Go to witnesstalkradio.org for more episodes and to leave feedback. I've been sick this week, but our faithful correspondent, Jen, from Christian Collegiate Network, was out there interviewing people about evolution. She had some great conversations, which led to the gospel of Jesus Christ being shared. This is Jen with CCN. Do you believe in God? I do not. And how come? Uh, Lack of evidence and uh, my philosophical viewpoints. What viewpoints do you have that you don't believe in God? I just feel that, like, people always say, then how did the universe begin if there was no God? Then my question to that is, how did God come about? What was his impetus? And it's just never-ending cycle of, like, who created who, this whole big, what came first, and no one really has any answers, and the only reason, and the only way we can figure out things is to search for the truth. I'm not completely against the idea of a God. I'm just saying if there's more hard, materialistic, scientific evidence, then I believe, but at the moment there's a lack of scientific evidence. All right. Uh, Well, you know, for scientific evidence, if there is a God, he's immaterial, right? That's what some people claim. And so he would be immaterial, and he's outside of this universe. And so it would be hard to, to measure him in such a way that, that you could get, like, a measurement of him. Does that make sense? I hear what you're saying, but by the same logic, you could also say that a flying teapot is orbiting the Earth, and it's undetectable. But do you believe in the flying teapot? Well, you know what? For God, there's, there's books written, and there's history, but there's no history about a flying teapot, is there? Well, there's like one book, and it's written by people who wanted to push their agenda onto people to conform to a religion. I mean, outside of that, there's really no other books written. All right, so let me ask you this question. Do you, do you read books written by men? I read books written by both genders. By, both, by, both human, by human beings? Mm-hmm. And so, if, do you believe those books? If they're, science, if they're non-fiction and scientific books, I look for how much evidence they have and how much research and how, much, how many citations they have and if they can back up their claims if they make any. Okay, so here's a question for you. What if I told you that doesn't, the evidence doesn't really matter, but what matters is their presupposition? Uh, if you're making a claim to, as to who started the universe, I think you need a bit of evidence, but if it's for your own personal belief, then... Go ahead. I mean, just don't try to convince other people who are scientifically minded for the existence of your God. But um, So is it wrong to, to get other people to believe your, your point of view? I mean, if there's somebody who is on the fence and they're looking to see both viewpoints, then it's not wrong to try to, you know, show them your, your side. But, I mean, there's freedom of speech and freedom of expression if you want to stand out and talk to people and try to get them to believe that's that's your right but i mean you should nobody regardless of their belief system should force their beliefs upon others and how does someone force their belief on someone else uh you see with like cultures how they like especially in the middle east how everyone is has to be where most people have to be under this islamic regime and you know if you dissent then you're most likely killed and with parents like in america most people of the Christian or 
Catholic faith, I like to think of them the same thing because they both honor Christ, but um, just being raised in a specific household, depending on how strict certain parents can be, they have to, they, their kid has to believe or else I've seen instances of parents hating their children if they believe otherwise. Now, the Bible says that if you hate someone, you've murdered them in your heart. Do you think someone that hates their child is a Christian? They don't necessarily follow the doctrines of Christ, I guess. But then again, there are a few quotes from Jesus himself about, you know, going out against your parents and kind of rebelling and kind of like putting your him first as opposed to your family. So it with the parents thing, you should always try to raise your children. There's other um, ideologies or other philosophies you could apply to that, like, Buddhism, you, there's other philosophies that teach pre, uh, peace and tolerance and understanding in addition to Christianity. Okay, let's go back to the to the proof about God thing. So if you can't measure God in some scientific form, it just doesn't make sense. What if I told you you could measure him in a, a moral sense? Or you could judge, you know, you could see that there's a God based on, on a logical or a moral or a religious sense. Moral sense, I don't... If you're citing the Bible for morality, I think you got to look elsewhere because it condones slavery, rape, misogyny, genocide, and all sorts of bad things. Um, I don't think... Are you sure it condones them, or that's just what people did in that book? It's both. It's what people did. Some people were punished, but otherwise, some people were allowed. Like, it says if your daughter is raped, then the rapist has to ask for the father to uh, allow the marriage to happen. And there's just instances like that throughout the book, like little things that are contradictory to like what people believe is morality of the Bible. Well, let me ask you a question. Is it is it wrong to murder? N- not in self-defense. But to, in the definition of, of murder, so that's self-defense. So in the definition of murder, you would, you would hate someone and you decide you're going to go out purposely and kill that person. Uh, there's some instances where you don't necessarily have to hate the individual. Like if you're a person who kills people for money. Sometimes you don't really have a bias in the situation. It's just a job. So is that wrong? I mean, yeah, you shouldn't kill people, especially for profit. Why? Because nobody should have their life taken away. Why? Because people deserve to live. Why? Because life is short and you only get this one life, so people should be able to live it to the fullest extent. Granted, if they're a criminal and they kill a bunch of children, then I think the correct thing to do is the death penalty, but... Otherwise, no one should be murdered, no one should be killed, no one should have their life taken away. But if we're just random chance over time, you and me and everybody else here, you know, why are they more important than anybody else? Why is he more important? So, like, so, you know, it, it may be that I, you know, what if I said, you know, oh, I, I believe that you know, for my good, that to make me feel good, I, I would you know, kill other people. And if I'm, they're just a random chance and you're just a random chance, why would that be bad? Why would it be bad for people to kill people? Yeah, I mean, if, if you're just, if everything came about by random chance over time, and you're just a random chance, and I'm just a random chance, why would murder be bad? Because with this random chance that we have, we can produce so much goodness, we can have so much progress, we can have so much fulfillment that it would be wrong to take it away. Like, yeah, it is a random chance, but random chances sometimes produce beautiful things, and beautiful things should not be stripped away. All right, now, so you mentioned... Good. Yes. Where do you get your definition of good? 
my definition of good, I get it from my personal experience and other insights that I've been given by other people, like how a particular way of life jives with another one in a positive way. I, I think if people always look towards a book for morality, they themselves are not moral people. They have to have some th something or someone tell them how to be moral. I think it's up to someone on their own to define their own morality. Like, granted, there are certain uh, precepts of morality, like certain things we all must follow. Like, don't try to be not not nonviolent. Try not to be a murderer. Try not to be a liar. Try not to be an adulterer. Try not to be dishonest. But there's certain things, like, each person has their own personal spin on morality, their own way they go about it. But it seems that, you know, like, do not murder, do not lie, do not steal, those seem to be, like, an absolute rule that everyone seems to have. Well, throughout all cultures, regardless of secularism or uh, religious preference, that they, they all kind of have, be honest, don't lie, and don't... It, I think it's a human thing, because that's what got us through cooperation and working together has always helped us for the good. All right, what if it seems that everyone has these laws written on their hearts and human beings seem to have importance to other human beings? We, we are important. What if I told you that you're important because you're made in God's image and those rules, those do not steal, do not lie, it's because you have a conscience and God wrote that conscience on your heart so that... You wouldn't do those things. That's because that's who God is. Do not lie. Do not steal. What do you think about that? That I'm made in God's image. Um, and that's why you're important. And that's why you think other people are important. That's why I don't think people are important. I think people are important because we're people and that we're just random chances and that, you know, each person is beautiful in his or, own, his or her own right. And I don't believe that, you know, this one God who kills people just because he can and just because they disagree with him like he he you either view him as omnipotent and omnipresent so he should know if people are going to dissent against what he wants or you believe in this divine plan which ultimately falls away if people go against it so really he's not really all powerful and he's really quite flawed and he's a very envious and jealous god he even says i am a jealous god do you understand why he would be a jealous god if he is perfect why would you why would he want you to worship anyone else if he's perfect and so you know who like if you're a husband and you would be jealous if your wife was cheating on you that would be a righteous jealousy wouldn't it i guess but if he wanted people not to you know believe in other gods you could have made us that way he could have not made us so flawed you couldn't have made life so flawed yeah life is flawed but we can use those imperfections to make a good a good life because nothing's perfect well, what if when God made everything, he made it perfect, but then we broke his laws, and so now things aren't perfect because we broke his laws? Wouldn't that make us greater than God then because we, we were able to defy what he made? Well, if he gave you the choice, you could either you could choose to either obey me or not obey me, and we chose to not obey him. But what if he loves us so much that... He makes a way for us for us to get back together with him, you know, to make things perfect again. What would you think of that? Well, I think that he should. That's too. There's, there's no reason for that. If he's going to make something that can be broken and get mad that it's broken, then forgive us. He could just not do that in the first place. Well, here's the thing: is that God 
made you in his image, and he made you in such a way that you could choose. He didn't make you perfect. And I don't think a perfect being has to make everything perfect. But God, you, you know that there's a law. You know it's wrong to lie and steal and murder. And the only explanation that, that I think that anyone can come up with is that God wrote those things on your heart. And he knew that you weren't going to break, you knew that you were going to break those laws. But God himself sent his only son, Jesus, that lived a perfect life, never broke any of the laws, and dies on the cross to pay your fines so that you don't have to end up in hell. And then what he does is he fills you with his Holy Spirit. He fills you with himself so that you won't want to do those bad things anymore. And then the next life will be perfect. What do you think about that? I think that's also kind of, you know, unnecessary because he's like, I'm going to make myself into a human form who's also my own son to forgive you for sins I initially made in the first place. Well, he didn't make them. We did it. He didn't make what? The sins? He made us able to sin. You just... He made you, but we decided to sin. But if it's part of God's plan, then it was all part of us to sin. He knew we were going to sin from the beginning. Yeah. So that he made us with knowledge that we were going to sin. He made us, he put us into action according to this belief. So therefore he made us sin. Well, he didn't make us sin, but he allows you a way for you to get to heaven. So He made it possible to sin. You know what I'm saying? Like, without... He could have just made sins not happen in the first place, but he said he goes about in this roundabout way to make sins, make us feel guilty, and be like, never mind, here's myself in human form that I'm going to kill just so these can be forgiven, so there should really be no sins in the first place. And the whole thing about Jesus is, like, he, as long as you accept them as your personal Savior, your sins can be forgiven. So why wouldn't you want to sin then if your sins could be forgiven? The other way, there's a fear this way, there's forgiveness, and sometimes an almost too lenient forgiveness to where people are just like, oh, I'll just sin on Saturday and then go to church on Sunday and I'll be forgiven. Well, the Bible does say that you must repent. That means you have to turn from your sin and not decide that you're going to go do those things. And so it's not a like, oh, you're just, forg- you know, you're just forgiven, but it's, you have to make a change or you're not truly forgiven. Does that make sense? Yeah, but people can change day to day as well. Um, they could truly be sorry that that following Sunday, and then a few days later, whether it's bad genetics or just like the environment that they're in, decide to sin again, even if it's just spur of the moment, and then be like, oh, I'm sorry yet again the next Sunday. And you know what, and I think that people, the Bible actually tells us that we're not going to be perfect until the day we die, but the question is, are you, are you fighting against that person, fighting against sin, or are they just living that lifestyle of sin? Does that make sense? Could you repeat the first part, please? All right, so there's a way where that you just say, you know, today I wake up and, and I'm going to sin. And there's another person that wakes up and says, you know, says, okay, you know, I'm going to avoid, I'm not going to go to strip clubs or I'm going to avoid the beach so I won't sin in that way. And so, you know, they're actively living a lifestyle that they're trying not to do those things as opposed to someone who gets up in the morning and says, today I get up and feed my flesh and, and sin. Does that make sense? I get you. Um, some people, the righteous path for them their thing whether it's secular or otherwise but i think some degree of sin i'm not going to try to condone it but you know we we commit it all the time whether or not you want to call it sin but um i think a certain a small portion of it is healthy because it's unavoidable and it's just part of life i mean granted you shouldn't go cheating on you know your loved ones or 
committing horrible things, but, I mean, at a certain point, flaws make us whole, and we're human, and we're not perfect, and we can't avoid certain things. And certain things are only considered sin because they were uh, vilified back in the day. Certain things are not as bad. Of course, we had a, like a sexual revolution, and people have been getting more rights, like women who were like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Who were pretty much second-class citizens in the Bible. And Jen told me that this interview went on for nearly an hour, but got cut off when she ran out of memory. In the clip, we hear Joe throw out a lot of rabbit trails, but Jen didn't let them phase her. She gave answers and kept moving forward, eventually leading to the gospel which happened after the recording cut out. You're listening to Witness Radio. Are you scared to witness to people that have a major focus on science? Well, then check this out from Answers in Genesis. Have you ever heard this? Tens of years ago, there was an explosion in space. Or a 100,000 years ago, this happened or that happened. Or even in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Question, how does anyone know? I mean, was anybody there to observe it? Well, actually somebody was, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Check this out. First of all, we need to recognize that there is a huge difference between observational science and historical science. Both are valuable, but very different. Let's define the two real quick, shall we? Observational science is simply when we observe something and experiment to draw conclusions. It involves repeatable experimentation and observations in the present. It's through observational science that we find cures for diseases and build space shuttles, stuff like that. Now, through historical science, we consider things that happened in the past, but they cannot be checked in the same way. I mean, we don't have access to the past like we do the present because, well, it's gone, right? All we really have is speculation, or at best, circumstantial evidences of past events based on what we see in the present. That's not to say that we can't make intelligent guesses about the past or form reasonable inferences from rocks or fossils in the present, but we certainly cannot directly test our conclusions because we cannot repeat the past. Got it? So, does that mean historical science is unimportant? Not at all. Let's drop an example down here for a minute and take a look at the Eiffel Tower. You know, that 19th century Parisian monument designed by Gustav Eiffel that stands 1,063 feet tall, which was built as the entrance for the 1889 World's Fair and is still the tallest building in Paris today, visited by millions of people each year? Yeah, that one. Well, guess what? Everything I just told you is true, but how do we test it? Well, applying observational science, we can, of course, observe the Eiffel Tower anytime we're in Paris. It's here in the present. Then, we can continue by testing the height and comparing it to all the other structures in Paris and confirm the claim that it is indeed the tallest building in Paris. But that's the extent of the kind of facts that can be proved by observational science in reference to this claim. How do we really know that Gustav designed it? How do we really know it was built in the 19th century as an entrance to the 1889 World's Fair? How do we really know how many people visited? That's all in the past. It can't be repeated. For that kind of information, we need to go outside the limits of observational science and discover what has been communicated to us through historical documents and eyewitness accounts. And furthermore, we have to believe those eyewitnesses and documents are trustworthy. The same is true when we talk about the origin of the Earth. The Earth is here. We all agree with that. So, does observational science confirm that the world was created by God, and are there trustworthy documents and eyewitness accounts that confirm it? Well, let's take the last part first. In short, what we're really asking is my original question, was anybody there to observe it? The answer is yes. God was there, and he told us how he created. 
He inspired people to write down his very words that became books that were compiled into a complete book called the Bible, which has been verified over and over again and has demonstrated itself to be totally trustworthy in all it claims and teaches. Even secular scholars will concede that the Bible accurately records historical events. Anyway, we have the most trustworthy revelation from the most trustworthy eyewitness. Now, what about observational science? Does it confirm the Bible? Yes. And what's extremely important to realize is the observable fact that the universe is logical and orderly. That makes sense only if its creator is logical and has imposed order on his creation. It doesn't make sense at all if the universe is just an accident of a huge explosion. Also, our minds are able to comprehend many things about the universe, and that's only possible if the creator of the mind gave us the ability and desire to explore the universe. It doesn't make sense if our brains are byproducts of chance because we couldn't trust their conclusions to ever be accurate. And lastly, it only makes sense that we can observe and repeat an experiment if the universe consistently obeys the same laws from day to day, which only makes sense if a lawgiver created it that way and upholds it. So to be bluntly honest, science itself, whether observational or historical, is only possible because God exists and the Bible is true. I could go on, but enough said. Ratings. We don't need no stupid ratings. You're listening to Witness Radio with Ryan Muliak. <coughs> but we like Ryan. <coughs> we do! Just go to witnesstalkradio.org. Jennifer and I are both part of a campus missionary organization called Christian Collegian Network. Along with other CCN missionaries, we seek to save the lost and disciple the found on college campuses across the nation. Go to changeyourcampus.com to learn more about the ministry, to support a missionary, or to help CCN in other ways. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe in the Big Bang Theory? I do. And how come? I believe in a lot of theories, mainly because there's a lot of scientific evidence out there. What scientific evidence specifically do you use to believe in that? A lot with like astronomy and everything. Do you think there could there be uh, some some other explanation other than the Big Bang? Absolutely. But there's a bunch of other explanations. All right. What about, do you believe in evolution? I believe in that as well. And how come? Like, again, there's a lot of evidence out there supporting it. What evidence specifically supports it? Pretty much what I, not astronomy, but just a lot of scientific evidence out there. Okay, what about um, the law that life comes from life? And it the law doesn't say that life comes from non-life. What do you think about that? I mean, I feel like all three could be accurate. At least right now, there's no way to know for sure which one's right. All right, let me do some reasoning with you. If the Big Bang and evolution is true... Would it be fair to say that then um, everything comes out of random chance over time? I think you can say that. Now, if random chance, if everything comes over random chance over time, is there anything that's absolute since it could change at any time? It's really hard to say. But, like gravity, would you agree that that's an unchanging law? Something like that here on Earth? But you go to other planets, then it's not. So you think there's other planets that don't have gravity? Mm-hmm. 
isn't it isn't gravity work because of you know like how much uh how much mass it has and so because of the mass it's just like a property of 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 you know atoms and stuff when they get together yeah but if you like if other planets don't necessarily have it and then if you really think about some other universes or other life forms that really could be out there then it will really make you wonder what if so here's a, here's my here's my conundrum is that there are absolute laws like in logic there's absolute laws like so something can't exist and not exist at the same time you know so that's like a law of logic is there a point in time where you could think that the law of non-contradiction would not be true i mean there's a lot of logic but at the same time i feel like we accept a lot of it like all these different theories and everything can i give you an alternate theory would you mind if i Give you something? All right. I believe that there is a creator, an absolute creator, who is unchanging, has always existed, and is immaterial. It sort of sounds like logic, right? Logic is unchanging, immaterial, always existed, right? And that we have absolute laws because we have an absolute creator that created absolute laws. And so gravity always existed because he he you know like gravity is true because he created it just that way and if things were random chance over time then at any moment gravity could go away because it's not really a, an absolute law does that make sense and so god created us in his image and and we have do you feel a sense of justice like if somebody some little five-year-old kid got raped and murdered you'd want that person to come under justice wouldn't you mm-hmm and so that's because you're made in God's image. And so you have a, he gave you a sense of right and wrong. He gave you a, a conscience. Do you think you have a conscience? I do. Now, if you are created by impersonal things, such as atoms and molecules, where would you get that personality that you have? It's really hard to say. But if you're made in God's image, a personal being then you would have a personality, wouldn't you? And, and personal. And people matter. You know, like, when you look at all these people, they matter, don't they? They do. And why is that? Because you are made in God's image. Now, if you're just random chance over time, why would they matter, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So, people matter, and you're made in God's image. So, would you consider yourself to be a good person? I would. Have you ever told a lie? white lie like a white lie okay have you ever stolen anything Mm-mm. the bible says if you hate someone you murder them in your heart and if you lust after someone you commit adultery in your heart have you ever taken god's name in vain said oh my god so if god judged you by the ten commandments would you be innocent or guilty i think innocent how come you would be innocent because i always try to do the right thing and be a good person well have you, if you've broken even one of God's laws, and you stood before a judge and you broke one of his laws, how would you do? Mm, it's hard to say. And so if you, so here's the thing, is you stand before a regular judge and you broke his law, you'd end up in prison. When you stand before God and you broke one of his laws, you'd end up in his prison. Do you know where his prison would be? Hell. Is it a concern you'd end up in hell? Yeah. 
Do you know what? What was that again? Said I think it would concern anyone. Do you know what God did say you wouldn't have to end up in hell? Mm-mm. Let's say you stood before a judge and you were guilty, and the judge says you'd have to pay a million dollar fine or you have to go to prison. Someone you don't even know runs in and says, I love you so much, I'm going to pay that fine. Would that be good news? That would. And so that's what God did for you 2,000 years ago, is that God created you in his image for a purpose because he cares about you and he loves you. And he knew you, he, you couldn't keep his law, but he sent his only son, Jesus, that lived a perfect life and never broke any of the laws to die on the cross to pay your fine so that you could go to heaven. And what he does is he, he makes you a new person. He fills you with the Holy Spirit to help you not do those bad things again. Not that you'll do it perfectly. And on the third day, he rose again, proving that he was God. And 500 people saw him after that. What do you think about that news? I think that's great news. And so, you know what? I'm here today. I just I want to let you know how to get to heaven. And I want to see you someday in heaven, David. And so, really like you to consider what I had to say, okay? All right. Thank you. Jen from CCN, changeyourcanvas.com. You're listening to Wednesday. My lovely wife and I went to see Kirk Cameron's new movie, Saving Christmas, last night. If you go with the expectation that this will be a solid refutation against the pagan arguments about Christmas, prepare to be disappointed. Due to Kirk's last two theater releases, Monumental and Unstoppable, Elaine and I didn't expect much. Instead of dealing with serious questions that Christians are asked every Christmas season, Kirk derides them and then tries to insert Christmas traditions and symbols into the Bible. I don't have a problem with Christians celebrating Christmas, but we shouldn't try to add biblical meanings to the traditions and symbols if they didn't originate in the Bible. We love Kirk, and we really hope that he gets back to sharing the gospel one day. Next week, We'll have two special guests joining me as we discuss demonic possession and how to deal with it while witnessing. You won't want to miss it. Until then, the fields are ripe for the harvest. So what are you waiting for? Get out there and share your faith. May God bless you. Witness Radio has been brought to you by the Muniac family.